we are in part three of a series, and we're talking about love, because that's awesome, right? We have to talk about love. Jesus Christ talked about love a lot. Uh, he was love. He came to this planet. I mean, he, he was love. And so as we look at our relationships, they should be defined by love. Uh, people should look at us as different than the world, right? Uh, even the world looks at this thing called love and says this thing is very, very, very important. So it's something that we should look at as well. It's something that we should be defined as. It's something that our relationships should be defined as. Unfortunately, of course, you know the statistics um, that as many many families, as many as many marriages within the church as outside of the church don't make it. And so there has to be something different. We have to be getting something wrong. And we've been talking through this series about what is that? What is that thing that should be, of course, different? Uh, you think about it, there are a whole lot of myths out there, and we've been hitting some of these pretty hard. And uh, if we've been a little bit on the negative side, it's okay because sometimes you need a good dose of medicine to get better, right? That's kind of the way we look at it. And so I love being able to teach positive things. I love being able to, you know, we leave out of here just all warm and fuzzy. And every single Sunday you should leave warm and fuzzy because Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. So that's a reminder every single Sunday. So if nothing else, you leave going, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But we got some work to do, right? This whole thing called love is not easy. It's not easy. Simple. At the end of the day, it's not easy. Ask any marriage, any marriage, right? Anyone that's been married for 15, 20, 30 years, and you bring them up and you really, you, you, you know, put a microphone in their face, sit down with a notepad, interview them, whatever it is, you talk to them and you start hearing stories of trials, difficulties, ups and downs, right? Because every relationship is different. Every relationship is unique. So here's a few myths that are kind of interesting. Love at first sight. All right, that's a unique one, right? Love at first sight. Now, I will agree that there is attraction at first sight. I will agree that there is a connection at first sight. I will agree there's many things. And some of you are like, oh, no, mm-mm, pastor, my husband and I, you know, we were love at first sight. When we saw each other, we were glazing across that library on that campus. You know, it was just, oh, he had a stack of books, and it was just, oh, it was amazing, right? I saw him on the ball field, and it was, I saw her in the cheerleading thing. Oh, it was amazing, right? Whatever it might be. But understand there's that connection. There's that, you know, that you resonate to certain people, just like friendships, natural friendships, right? Something like siblings, you know, if you, if you come from a very large family, you'll resonate to certain, you know, siblings, certain family members. A lot of times it's a lot of people that are very similar to us, you know, they have the same humor, whatever that might be. But understand, like, this whole idea of love at first sight is kind of interesting because there need, it, it needs to be more. There needs to be more. It, it's actually going to take time. You know, you look at these reality shows, and I know about probably three-fourths of us in the room actually watch all the love reality shows, right? And they show up day one, and they're looking around like, oh, and then about two weeks in, they're like, oh, I think I'm falling in love, you know? And it's like, really? Like, the, man, that, that love word is so big. It's so big. It's so big. You know, and we just kind of throw it around, and we just kind of, and then you'll hear like, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-olds, you know, and they're dating, whatever they call it now, Netflix and chill. I don't know what it's called these days, but, you know, and then all of a sudden you hear them talking about, you know, they're throwing the love word around. And you're like, you, you even understand, right? You take someone that's been married 25 years and you go, hey, what does love mean to you? And you take someone that's just got those feelings, right? They just can't get rid of those feelings. They're just there, you know, and it feels like love. And you're going, you, you get the difference here? You get this? Do you understand this? And so we've been kind of like really just trying to help everyone understand that you don't really just like, you don't really fall in love. It, to me, it's like it is. I heard this this week. You grow in love. It's like you gotta, it's like you grow with that person, right? And the more you're with them, the more you're growing, the more you're going, you know what? I, I will do anything for you because by the time you get to wedding day, right? By the time you're making those vows, you're saying death do us part, right? That's pretty serious. 
You know, I want to look at people when they're getting married and be like, do you, you realize what you're doing right now, right? <laughs> you're, you're attaching yourself to this other person, right? And, and all their craziness, all the things that they got going on, everything in their life, guess what? You're attached, man. You're going, you're going along with the ride, right? You're going along. So buckle up, put the seatbelt on. You better be ready because there's no getting off this ride. Right, that's what I want to tell every single, you know, that's kind of a weird thing to say at a, at a wedding, right? So I do that in the premarriage counseling many times. But that's the truth, right? And that's what we do. And that's why we've said, and this is, you know, the controversy, better not to get married to the wrong person, to get, better not to be married, right, than to get married to the wrong person. Especially if you got little kids involved, especially if you got other family members involved. Why? Because you're bringing somebody along and you hear this idea that oh, better have loved and lost and never have loved at all. Bull. Bull, right? Because they got a lot of baggage and guess what? You talk to someone that's been married for 20 years, right? And they're not married any longer. And guess what? They are so, I don't know if I want to even jump into that again. I don't even know if I want to go there because why? There are so many things that they look back at and there's so much damage, right? Or they let somebody into their life and they just came in and they just messed you up. Right, and so now you're looking at this marriage thing on this side of it, and you're like, mm, <laughs> "No, I'll, I'll say hi to people, maybe flirt a little bit. I'm not getting married, no way." You know, we looked at that, and we're like, "Oh, this whole idea of you know love is just kind of intriguing." I heard this this week. Oh, when I was doing my study, this was so good. It's one of those things that I should have known. I think as a pastor, maybe I failed. I don't know. <laughs> I heard this, I was like, "This is so good. This will be like a whole series at some point." But, you know, the, the, the words for love, right, in Greek, we all know that, right? There's like four different major words for love in Greek. English, there's only like real one, right? So we've talked about that, how English kind of dumbs it down. You know, you can love all kinds of stuff. You can love all kinds of things, you know. Uh, but if you look in the Greek, right, the, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. All right, so if you look at the Greek, there's four words. You ready for this? So I'm getting crazy on here, all right? So there's phileo, which is like that friendship, that bro love, right? Bro, I love you, you know, that kind of love, right? A girlfriend love, you know, oh, we're, we're besties forever, you know? It's that, it's that love, like, man, I will do anything for this person, you know? But it's not, it's not marriage. Uh, there's the, the, it's called storage. It's this family, familia type love, right? There's a different love there, right? I mean, some of you are so close to other relationships, it feels like family, um, but that's that family type of love. There's eros, you know, we all know what that is, of course. That's the sensual side of love, which is very important. And of course, there is that ultimate agape love. Agape love is unique because that is like how God loves us. And we are, of course, to love other people as Christ loved the church. So this is what I learned this week, and this is what I heard, and this is very important, that a marriage is the only relationship that should incorporate all four of those right? That relationship with your spouse should incorporate all four of those, and that relationship alone, right? That's what makes marriage unique, is that you can take all four of those ideas of how the New Testament presents as love, and you're wrapping that into one relationship with another person, and that's why it stands apart. That's why it's unique and different. You're like, how can I love, how can I love my spouse the way God loves us? It's like, man, we got to work. That's why marriages work, right? That's why we have to, that's why we have to go above and beyond, and of course, so many marriages only have what, maybe one or two, or maybe they were built on the idea that, you know what, it was love at first sight, and that all there is is that sexual side of, of love, and that's it. And then when that wears off and the emotions wear off, guess what, the fun wears off, and then you're two or three years down the road, and you're going, I don't know about this guy, <laughs> right? And so we see this. And so the number one thing, of course, in this planet, the number one relationship is the person that you are married to. Of course, God is number one. But here, that relationship should be number one. 
Unfortunately, what do we do? And I've stepped on toes many, many times with this statement, but many times today, our culture is different than 20, 30, 40 years ago. Remember 20, 30, 40 years ago, kids were what? You are to be seen and not heard, right? <laughs> That's the way we treated kids. Today we treat kids, man, we elevate them so high. We put them like number one in what our relationship with our spouse is number two, maybe three, maybe four, right? I mean, sometimes the relationship with our spouse is even behind our relationship with our moms, right? That should not be. One of the greatest things you can do to give to your children is what? A healthy marriage. If they can see mom and dad loving each other, they can see mom and dad going on dates, they can see mom and dad kissing. Oh, gross, right? Why would you do that, mom? Why would you do that, dad? That's disgusting, right? If they can see that in front of guess what, man? That means so much. That means so much, right? That's one of the greatest things that you can give to your children is that healthy, beautiful relationship. If they can see all four parts of love coming together in this one relationship and it's modeled right in front of them in their own home, hmm, they might grow up to be people that doesn't have baggage, right? They might grow up to be people that understand and get it right from the beginning. Oh, they will be so much further ahead. And if you've not been able to give that to them, no better time to start than now. No better time to start than now. So we're going to look at this, uh, a couple ideas here. And the tension is simply this in this whole series. The issue, the problem, the tension that we see is that many of us, we've dreamed that fairy tale wedding. We've, we've desired that fairy tale wedding, but we, we don't quite look past that. You know, on the front end of it, it's, it's just getting to that finish line, and it's really not a finish line. It's actually the starting line. And we realize, wait a minute, we should be desiring the fairy tale marriage. But too often what happens if you look down the road and if you were able to know on this side of marriage that, you know what, there might be a spot in time where you look at your spouse and you go, you know what, we have no money. We are bankrupt. We have nothing right now to our names. Those are tough times. And you might be saying, you know what, I thought we raised the kids correctly. Oh, my goodness. We are just trying to keep one of them out of jail, right? And you're having this conversation. Please don't get pregnant. You know what I mean? There's like conversations within families and within marriages. And you're like, I never dreamed I would be having this conversation. And so what do we do on that side of it? And as grandparents, you're sitting there looking and you're trying to pour into your kids and you're trying to pour into them grandkids, right? And you're trying to do everything you can. And if we can help our kids and our grandkids to understand that, you know what? Marriage is work. Marriage is work. Marriage is work. It's just not something that's going to, a good marriage just doesn't happen. Come on, right? A good marriage just does not happen. It's just not one of those things that just, oh, wow, how did you have, well, how do you have such a good marriage? I don't know. Let me tell you, you see a good marriage and you ask them, they're going to have some feedback for you, right? They're going to have some feedback for you. So we've been looking at different uh, people in scripture and up to now we looked at two couples that weren't the best. Right, So today we're going to look at a couple, and we're going to see kind of their life. You look at it, and it's defined by faith, right? This couple, their life is defined by faith. But there are moments in time in their life, and we're going to take little little pictures, you know, little captions, little video clips of their life, right, and kind of merge it all together. And it's over a period of probably about 40 or 50 years. Um, and we're just going to kind of pick and choose. And we're going to kind of show you, we're going to kind of look at when their life didn't quite go so well, we're going to look at what happened to them, and we're going to learn from them. So one of the greatest things that you can learn when people do mess up, you go, okay, I'm not going to do that. No way, no how. And that's what we're going to see today. So we're going to look at this couple, and it's Abraham and Sarah. And most of you know who Abraham and Sarah are. Uh, if you've been around church at all, you probably caught wind of this couple. Uh, they could not have a child. Um, a, lot of, a lot of couples have that struggle. A lot of couples have that difficulty. 
right? They're praying to God. They're praying to God. They're praying to God. I, we want a couple, so we want a child so bad, right? And God did not bless them the way He blessed other people. And we see this couple, and God came to them and did some different things with them. So, uh, Genesis chapter twelve, verse one, is where we're gonna we're gonna start out. It says this: The Lord said to Abraham. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So that's kind of cool. This is the couple we're talking about. I mean, this, this guy was so unique and, and special that God looked at him and said, you know what? I'm going to take my entire, this, this group of people that I'm going to raise up so that the Messiah can come through this group of people so that I can save the world. It's going to start with you. And that's a pretty special thing. I don't know about you. If God came to you and said that, I think you'd sit up. I think you'd go, you know what? I'm going to be the godliest person I can possibly be. I'm going to pay attention to every single promise you make me because he made him quite a bit. And of course, you see this, and it goes on in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Nothing like having that conversation. Hey, honey, we need to move. Okay, where? I don't know. Let's pack up, though, okay? Let's go ahead and get the camels ready. This isn't easy. This isn't like, hey, let's jump on the internet, right? And let's find a nice little ranch for, you know, a three-bedroom. Sounds good, right? What city? Oh, this one has a nice school system. I mean, have that conversation with your wife. Good luck, you know? Like, I have no idea where we're going, and it's not easy. You know, yeah, we got a whole lot of stuff, too, and tents and everything and kids and sheep and, you know, you name it. I mean, not kids, but, you know, <laughs> servants. And, I mean, they had, like, this big clan is what they were, like this tribe of people, all right, even though, of course, they didn't have any children yet. So we see this. This was not easy. And so, like, on the front end of this marriage, right, they, they're, they're realizing, wait a minute, this isn't the picture perfect. This wasn't a little fence. This wasn't a three-car garage. This wasn't exactly the way they had hoped, exactly the way they had planned. And so many of us, we do have plans, and so many of us do have thoughts and ideas wrapped in our mind about what marriage should be. And then all of a sudden, we get down the road a little bit, and we're looking back five years, ten years in, and going, hmm, I don't know. I don't know if this is it. And what do we do? We start questioning what? The relationship. And we start questioning the other person. Meanwhile, it takes work. So number one that, that we see, number the first thing that we see here, the first thing that we see as they start moving, as they start going different places, and, and, they're, and, they're, and their world is that they, this whole idea of fear. I mean, listen to the way Hebrews describe them, and you would not think fear would creep in, but we're going to see it. Hebrews, um, let's see here, chapter 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, he went to that place, right? That's the way, it's like the hall of faith. He went there. They actually did it. He actually stepped out. But then all of a sudden, this whole idea of fear creeps in. So if we jump over to Genesis 12, this is kind of a snapshot. So they landed, they went there, and then all of a sudden famine came and all kinds of things happened. A job loss, whatever it might be. We need to move, honey, again. Oh, no. Oh, no. As he was about to enter Egypt, and listen to what they did. Listen to what they did. you got to remember the promise, right? Because the promise is what? I'm going to give you some land, right? The Messiah is going to come through your line, right? And you're going to be this mighty nation. So for the Messiah to come through your line means that you're going to have a child. That was part of the promise. So as you think through that part of the promise, think through this little snapshot of what's going on in chapter 12, verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife? <laughs> I'd love it if there was a question mark there. Wouldn't that be great? Like, this is your wife? What? Like, how did, hmm, this doesn't make any sense right here. <laughs> but there's no question mark. I'm lucky. Um, then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be 
spared because of you. And this is a messed up kind of situation, right? So they end up moving initially, right? So that was like kind of the beginning of their marriage. And they finally land in the promised land, which is Israel. There's famine. There's all kinds of different things that are going on within that part of the land. So they're like, you know what? We need to move again, right, to make sure that we can go find food and make sure we can survive. And so they go and they're traveling through this foreign nation. And here's the deal for the foreign nation. It wasn't too, it wasn't crazy to think at all that, hey, here's this group of people. Let's kill the husband and take everybody else. That's kind of what was the standard. That's what would happen. And so Abraham, he's kind of evaluating this thing and he's realizing, wait a minute, you're beautiful. You're really beautiful. And they're probably going to kill me. Understand is what? That there's a promise that's still there. There's a promise behind it all. The promise is what? You're going to have a child. So he doesn't have a child yet. God is going to protect him. I understand there's, there's times where we have to be smart and there's times where we have to be, you know, we have to think through things. And this is what he was trying to do. But this was not the way to do it. And so often within our marriages, we do the exact same thing. You know, so many people, you know, because of this fear, what? We won't even get married. Some of us, we have the fear of being alone, so we just jump at the chance to be with anybody. You know, we lower our standards because we're, we have a fear of losing someone. And there's so many things. Some of us in our marriages are at the point where God has laid on your heart to foster or to adopt. And maybe that was for you today. I don't know. But maybe God has laid that on your heart and you just have that fear of like, oh, no. Seriously, Lord? <laughs> you, know, like, you get to that point, you're like, are you seriously like calling us to do this? And it's that initial fear that we got to get past. Ask anyone that God has called to the mission field and ask me, ask them if they did not have some fear going through their body, right? Fear is there. It's relevant. It's real. And fear will drive us to do crazy stuff and it will drive us to do things. It'll drive us to not do things for the Lord. 1000%. And you look at this and you look at what we do, of course, and you look at what <laughs> we can learn from this. And number two, the second thing that we kind of see here is that we get ahead of God. So often we don't quite believe that God is going to work a certain way. And so what do we do? We start moving. We start acting. We start responding. So our, our couple, what, they were in Egypt for a while. And of course, that went horrible. They actually went through with that plan, right? They got, and they, they got to the government of Egypt and sure enough, hey, I'm... <laughs> Um, her brother, and what happened? There was places, there was all kinds of different things that took place because of that. Finally, the truth was known. They kicked him out. They said, what are you doing? Are you guys insane, right? Get out of here. And so they ended up heading back to the promised land, which is where they were at. And then we see this next set of circumstances. Now, this is years down the road. Understand the promise is still there. Promises have not gone anywhere, right? The promise is still there that, hey, you're going to have a child, and so we see them jumping the gun. And most of you know this story. This is in chapter 16. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children. And you could imagine what she was going through, especially in a culture where everything, man, was if you could give your husband a child, a boy especially, because they were going to take care of and they were going to they were like the, the retirement plan. I mean, that was their culture. And so her biggest desire was what? To have this family. And of course, she had not. And she was promised. You know, and you got to imagine her sitting there going, Lord, are you there? Hello, hello, hello. Are you there? Are you there? You know, and just trying to, trying to get the Lord to even you know, respond. Well, you, you told us way back that this would happen. And of course, God was not forgetting them at all. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, perhaps. I can build a family through her. This seems like the absolute worst idea that you could possibly have, right? 
And I know this was a little bit common back in the day, but man, it, it's man, it's not good, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I'm sorry, but feelings are feelings and emotions and emotions. And you put yourself in that situation and you got to know what came from this. You know what comes from this, right? The, of course he did. Abraham, it, idiot, right? What are you doing, man? Like, head that one off. Like, come on, dude. And so many times as guys, we just got to head stuff off. We just got to think clearly. And he's just like, oh, sure, okay. <laughs> and he just goes ahead and does it. And of course, his son was born, and sure enough, there's jealousy within the home, and there's issues within the home, right? To the point where literally Hagar and her son was kicked out. Then Ishmael was the son, and he's, of course, the father of all the Arab countries. And you look at Israel, and it's like, it's amazing to see the history behind all of this in one decision. And of course, there are problems. There are people that just get ahead of what God wants. And of course, we do this as well. You look at couples that, I'm just going to say this, you know, it's like moving in together before marriage is not God's plan. I'm sorry, but it's not. And if you're living together and you're in the room, I'm sorry, but this is not God's plan for you, right? God has a way that's set up, and we see this in Scripture. God wants you to become intimate after marriage, and we say this to our students, our young all the time, because they need to hear this. Because the world will tell you, you know what, sexually, anything goes. And if you dare tell me, you dare tell me that there's a certain way that God wants it done, I'm sorry, no way. I reject that. You know, I start seeing different things within, like, you know, or you scroll down through Facebook long enough, you'll see different videos, you know, and different people trying to be convinced of whatever it might be. And so much of that is pride. And last week we talked about this, right? Last week we saw that, what, it's the man's job, right? It's the man's role to really head that off with the Lord and really be able to take your family in a certain direction spiritually, you know, and so many, like, in our culture, just reject, 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 reject that. And if you didn't hear last week, please jump on, please jump on the podcast, on the, on, the, on the video stream, listen to that, because that is such an important thing. And so many of us don't want to ever even think that God has standards when it comes to our marriage, standards when it comes to relationships, standards when it comes to our sexuality. We can't talk about that. It's church, man. <laughs> we can't talk about that. We talk about everything from... <laughs> From finances to sex to love to marriage. I mean, we talk about everything here. Why? Because it's important. And every single part of our life should be what? Handed over to God. And so one of those is how we date and why we date and how we get to the point of actually committing ourselves. How do I know if I'm really going to be that compatible with them if I don't live with them? Oh, come on. Right? What do we do? We jump the gun and we... We do things out of order, and then we wonder why things aren't quite going right, or there's not that blessing upon our marriage. I'm telling you, you want God's blessing on your marriage. Even after the fact, after you get married, if you, if you got to that point, you're like, I love asking questions. I love, like, oh, it's almost awkward now when I start asking, like, how, how you met. <laughs> you don't know. I mean, bar, right? It, it was tender. It was, I mean, you name it, right? I mean, there's, there's so many ways. It's like, maybe you met in a weird way, whatever. You know what? Here you are. You're in church together. Maybe one of you is here. You know, it, the next step is what? Okay, our past is a little bit nutty and crazy and all that. But you know what? So from now on, we're going to do things God's way. We're going to do things the way we are going to bring God's blessing upon our marriage, upon our family, right? That's, and, and God goes, man, he respects that. Right? He looks at that and goes, okay, it's about time to stepping up. You know, so many times, what do we do? We get ahead. We get ahead. We think, you know what? If I don't do it this way, right? And it's like I said, our fears are driving that to the point where we do it the wrong way. And God so often is not in that. I mean, there's so many ways of getting ahead of God. So many ways of getting ahead of God. And patience is one of the most difficult things. Why? Especially because when you don't have a significant other, 
you don't have that person, that, that go-to person, that ride or die, that person that you want to connect with for the rest of your life, what that, that feelings of loneliness do set in. And those are real emotions. And those cannot be erased. And I'm sorry, you know, just trying to put something else in, the, in that spot does not, it does not go away. It does not go away. And I guarantee you, most of the people in this room have felt that experience at some point in time in their life. Loneliness is difficult. And so what does it do? It drives us to the point of impatience. And this is not, of course, what God would have. So the third thing that we see with this couple and that we can learn from is this whole idea that when things don't quite go our way is that, um, that we don't believe that God would actually do it for us personally. Right? For us personally. You look around and you see so many people that are so happy, so many families that are just perfect, right? The Instagram family, you know, that Facebook family. I mean, they're just, everything's like, I mean, they got every kind of colored hair, you know, you can imagine with their kids, right? And, you know, they, they all match all the time. They just go to Walmart, right? And they're all come, they hop in the car, they're perfect. You know, and this is the mindset that we get. And we look at everybody else and we just, you know, I do this on the church end. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've done ministry for a very long time, and I've been a lead pastor for 13 years now, right? And all up to about the last half of the year, we didn't have a building. It was portable. We're setting up, tearing down, moving stuff, you know what I mean, right? And I'm looking at other people, like, they'll tell me their stories. Oh, it was so amazing. God just came in. He gave us this land, you know, 80 acres, and, you know, a building was perfectly set, and there's, you know, woods over it, like, what? You know, it's like, are you kidding me? Right? And we sit there and we hear these stories, you know, and you, you hear God moving on other people's behalf or other groups' behalf or other families' behalf. And you sit there and you're like, this is never going to happen for me personally. I think God loves everybody but me, right? This is what we get to in our head. And I'm telling you, the promises are still there. The promises for you are still there. You see this situation, and this is 30 years later, a couple, now 30 years later, 30 years later. It's a long time to, to, to live with a promise. It didn't come true. I don't know about you, but I'd be thinking, I don't know, Lord. I'm not sure about that. I don't know. <laughs> Are you sure? Did you forget? You know, I mean, you're omniscient, but did you forget? <laughs> and of course, the promises are still there. And this is 30 years later. And finally, finally, this angel of the Lord comes and visits our couple. And this is what we see. This is uh, chapter 17, uh, verse 17. Abraham fell face down. He got the news he was going to have this, this kid finally. So he fell face down. This is his response. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. That was not the plan at all. That was not the plan at all. Ishmael was a, a son. He was grown. I don't know about you, but I'm mid-40s, right? The thought of bringing a little baby into our house, I'm like, oh no, right? <laughs> like a diapers? <laughs> it's been, I mean, I, I, just the thought of that, like, I'm going, oh man, I mean, I, if that was the Lord's will, it's not. And then, you know, for my wife, if we would not, not I'm kidding. <laughs> that sounded horrible, didn't it? Um, me and the Lord were like this, I know. Um, no, if he, if he called us to foster and adopt, absolutely. Um, but understand there's certain things. Um, so you look at this as a, an older, I mean, he's older. I mean, he is to the point where he's just like, man, I don't have any energy, like, you need energy to run around. You know, you need, I mean, I see little uh, little ones as we're like doing band practice, you know, and you see like, you know, just up here in the building and the kids are just running. It's like, oh man, that, that requires a lot. That requires a lot. Here's Abraham. He's older and going, oh man, are you serious, Lord? Like now I'm like a hundred. 
You understand their lifespans are a little bit different than now, and he lived he lived for a little bit longer than this, about 140. But I mean, he's just like, I don't have any energy, Lord. And then you see Sarah's response, and hers is totally what I would do. Verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself, and she, I mean, she's in the other room, like doing something, right? And she's kind of like got her ear to the tent wall, you know, and she's listening, and this is her response. So Sarah laughed at herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Like, man, I wanted this pleasure my whole life, but now I'm, I'm, whew, now? Really? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh? Oh, and she's like, oh no. <laughs> All right? She goes back to like, pretend like she's doing something. Well, I really have a child now that I am old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at this as the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have her son. Wow, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Oh, my goodness, it's going to happen. All right, and you can imagine, like, part of her wants to get excited, and part of her is like, seriously? You know, I mean, this was like the promise that was for them. But so often, what do we do? We don't think God works on our behalf. No way, God, you could ever change him. Okay? Have you prayed through it? Now, so many of our marriages were just ready to just fold up, pack it in. We're just ready to be done <laughs> without any counseling, without trying to talk to any other couples, without any kind of serious prayer or fasting. We get to that point where it's just a disconnect, right? It's just, you know what? We're just two strangers, you know, passing in the night. You know, it's like, we, that's just, we, we're like roommates pretty much. That's what we are. You know what? So why even live together anymore? We might as well just be done with this. No hard work at all. Nothing on top of that. We don't even try. And God's just like, oh my goodness, I need you to work. This is going to take some, this is going to take some difficulty. And guess what? The promises that God has made, the promises that God has made throughout the years and throughout, you see in scripture, you know, the promises that he has given to us, guess what? They're still there. And they're still real. Understand that so many of us, we can get to the, the point where we're like, I believe that the promise that you can save me from eternal damnation is real, but I don't believe that you can fill me up while I'm here on this earth. That's ridiculous. And so what do we do? We look to relationships to fill us up. We look to people to fill us up. We look to our kids to fill us up. We look to all these things. We don't really truly believe that he'll work on our half personally. That's wrong, no matter where you're at. No matter if you're married, no matter if you're single, listen to the way Romans kind of sums this up. You ready for this? So we jump back into the New Testament. Old Testament, New Testament, it's amazing. It's like, you know, right? So Romans chapter 4, without, without weakening in his faith, so at this point, his faith is back strong. He faced the fact, the fact, that his body was as good as dead. Man, that's, that's describing Abraham, right? Man, you're as good as dead. If somebody says that to you, all right, you probably shouldn't be having children, right? But he is as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And listen to, listen to Sarah's description here. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. All right, that's fun. Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. There's the promise. You hearing that? Promise. There's this promise that just keeps resonating through and come, keeps coming through. And you see this and you, you understand there's certain facts, right? A certain fact was that your husband, before you were married, was just this really, really rough guy, right? And he didn't care a whole lot about the Lord. But guess what? There's truth involved, too. The truth is simply this, that God wants him to come to the saving knowledge of himself as much as anyone else. 
And the truth is simply this. If you keep praying, you keep praying, you keep praying, you know what? It's very possible something that could happen. There's so many facts out there, right? We see these facts about, you know, who, who we married to in our families, and we just can't get past the facts, right? Facts are facts. But to understand there's truth and there's promises that God has given to us. And there's a side that's the supernatural side that we get to tap into, right? Because we serve a God that's supernatural, right? And I'm telling you, you talk to any family, there's going to be, if they follow the Lord enough, there's going to be certain people within their family that they should never be in tune spiritually with the Lord. All of a sudden it happened. It just happened. Somehow they got the church. They turned on the TV to that certain televangelist preacher, whatever it might be. They picked up a Bible and just started reading. I mean, it's amazing. Some of us have resigned to the fact that God will work personally. Some of us have resigned to the fact that, you know what, there's no way. There's no hope for my wife. There's no hope for my wife. Right? What we went through, just it's not going to happen. No chance. No chance. Right? So you know what? Let's just pack it in and be done. That's not what God wants. It's not what God wants. You know, you look at, let's go back to your, let's go back to your marriage. You ready for this? Most of us in the room, a lot of us, maybe, let's see, did anybody do like unique vows for each other? Let's see, anybody do like, you know, personalized vows? Anyone? Anyone? So it's traditional, right? So traditional vows. Most of us did traditional vows. You ready for this? So here's the vows. You ready? So this is kind of a standard vow. I, let's put your name in there, take the, okay, to be my wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold, right? So to have and to hold. So there has to be that physical side to it. There has to be, right? That's that part, that, that's that part of love that's very, very important. There has to be that part of it from this day forward. So you're, you're determining, you know what? I'm going to promise. Here's a promise. I'm going to promise from this day forward, you and me. I'm going to promise from this day forward it's going to happen. From, I'm going to promise from this day forward no matter what, right? For better or for worse. Man, that's a pretty big promise. It's a real big promise. For better or for worse. Okay, that, that's, getting, that's getting there. For richer, for poorer. Once again, there's going to be times where, you know what, it's going to be feast. And there's going to be times it's going to be famine. There's going to be times you start your own company, and it's going to be great, and then there's going to be times there's going to be a downturn, and it's not going to be so good. There's going to be times where the coronavirus comes and wipes us all out, right? And there's going to be times where we survive, and it's going to be fine, right? I mean, you know, there's, just, there's so many ups and downs, right? And you look at these standard, these wedding vows, and you go, oh my goodness, in sickness and in health and love, we cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance. You know the way that most people look at relationships here in the United States of America? Since we're able to choose our spouse, and we're able to, you know, really go outside, like a lot of families are arranged, a lot of marriages are arranged throughout the world. And once again, I'm not saying, I'm not advocating that, trust me, I don't want to pick out my, my daughter's husbands, right? But understand, like, you look at this, you look at this and you go, okay, you know what? Here's these two people that are coming together. And the arranged marriages are interesting, right? Because they come together and they're just under this idea that, you know what? We have to make this work and we've got to figure this thing out. And this has to happen. And they're really covenanting to one another, like, you know what? Through thick and thin, this is going to happen. And you might talk to them five years later and like, yeah, I think we're starting to love each other. <laughs> five years into a marriage. Oh my heavens. Right? But you know what? They, and, and they have a better success rate. If we as Christians could get this idea that this isn't just like we, we treat our marriages like a contract. Like I'm going to go to a car lot and I'm going to pay so much money and put so much money down. And I promise, I promise every single month I'm going to make this payment. 
as long as I keep making this payment, I get to keep the car. This is the way we treat our marriages. As long as what? I do this, and as long as you do this, right? You're going to let me keep the car, and I'm going to pay you money. As long as you do these things for me in a marriage, then I will do these things for you. And if we both do them together, right? 50-50, 50-50, this is the way it is in our marriages, right? 50-50, you hold your end, I hold my end. You make sure you look good, I make sure I look good. You make sure you're making money, I make sure I'm making money. You take care of the kids at this time, I'll take care of the kids at this time. <laughs> we all know there's only a matter of time before someone turns human, right? <laughs> and decides they're not going to hold up their end of the bargain. And then what? Well, let's just call it quits. Let's just be done. I understand some marriages are toxic. And some marriages should not be together, right? And there's biblical reasons for divorce. And there's a lot of different reasons for it. Like, there's so many stories in this room, so hear me on this. I understand my heart breaks for you if you went through a divorce because I know it's a struggle and I know the pain is real. I've talked to enough couples where they've been through one, maybe two divorces even. And I'm telling you, they have stories they could tell me. And I'm like, man, my heart is just, it's broke. It's broke. If we can figure this thing out as Christians, right, as people that love Jesus, that this is not a contract, right? This thing is not, what we did is not, a contract, it's a covenant, it's a promise. No matter what you do, man, if you get sick, man, my wife and I, we went through some health stuff. A lot of you know our story. We went through some health stuff. If you're looking across at your spouse and you're like, I don't know if you're going to make it. Woo! They do make it? I'm telling you, it's a new lease on life, right? It's like your marriage is stronger than ever. Stronger than ever because why? You know what? We got more years together. This is beautiful. This is incredible. Right? And maybe one of you had a moral failure. You did something ridiculous. You did something crazy. And guess what? Your strength of your marriage was not, not your own strength. It was the Lord's strength. And somehow the two of you got together through that. You got through it together. Guess what? You come out on the other end and go, man, that's strong. That's strong. And life's different. You got to work on making it the best it can possibly be after those moments. But man, if it's a contract, man, just forget about it. You're not holding up your end of the bargain. And this is what our world teaches us. This is what our this is what's crept into our minds. Just get rid of it. It's fine. It's just like any other relationship. You know, just get rid of them off of social media so you don't have to see them anymore. You know, just it's fine. Just move along, move along, move along. No. <laughs> my my hope for you is that you look at what Jesus Christ did for you. And you take that into your relationships, whether that's with your friends, your family, and my goodness, with your marriage. Hey, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. My goodness, why did he do that for you and for me? Because he loved us. We are to love our spouses the way Christ loved the church. We are to give ourselves up daily for our spouse. If fear creeps in, I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. If we jump the gun on the Lord, it's not going to happen, right? We decide to start moving before God moves, it's not going to work. God is designed in a certain way. And he wants all four of those parts to be within our marriage. So here's my, my hope for you. Evaluate that. Are you friends? The person that you say, this is the person I love the most in this planet. This is the person I want to be with. You know, maybe you're not quite there yet, and I pray that you like use this as a grid. Is this person your best friend? Would you rather be with them than anybody else? Would you rather be around them more than anyone else? 
this person, you know, is there that physical attraction? Is there something there? You need to hug. You need to kiss. You need to do all those things that married people do. There has to be that for a married couple, right? There has to be that family protection type love. Like no one, I don't care what we go through. You know what? We're family, right? We're family, right? You can do all kinds of stuff to family. Somehow they're still family, right? They still get together. That's the way it should be within a relationship. Like, I don't care what we go through. You know what? I'm going to be there for you. I don't care. Right? And of course, there's that godly love that, that separates all marriages. It separates it. Because if you love your spouse the way Christ loved the church, I'm telling you, that is going to be special. We are to show the world Jesus Christ. One of the best ways that we can show the world Jesus Christ is to loving our spouse. End of the story. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.